0: Father, we thank you that it's because of the powerful name of Jesus Christ, Savior, Rescuer, Deliverer, Redeemer of all that the enemy tries to do to undermine your authority. Jesus Christ reigns supremely and he's working all things together to bring glory to the Father. And Lord, I thank you that you've sent your son Jesus. He accomplished this by the cross. And throughout our lives, he is redeeming one horrible thing after another. And he is setting us up to be able to reflect to Jesus, to God the Father, all glory and honor. And I just ask you, Lord, whatever we're facing today, no matter how hard, I ask you, Lord, that we would look to that powerful name of Jesus Christ. And to no other, Lord, I ask that we would find strength and help and hope in Him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. And as we come to You, Father, now filled with life because we've trusted in Jesus, I just ask, God, that You would reign triumphantly, that every circumstance in our life, that we would see You triumphing in. That every challenge that we're facing, As we look to you humbly, we are going to see your grace poured out in abundance. Father, encourage us with this. Father, if there's any who are straying from your truth, I ask God, call them back by your spirit in their hearts, Lord God. Call them back to you. Please, Father, this is who you are Call us. You allow us to walk with you. You forgive us of all of our sins and we get to rule and reign with you in this life and in the next. Mm. Father, your truth is so powerful. Your truth sets the prisoners free. Your truth allows us to walk in victory even when everything around us seems to be caving in. This is who you are, God. And I just ask, Lord, right now, as we look into your word, would you speak truth to our inner man? And I ask you, Father, that your spirit would speak so clearly and so specifically to our hearts. Lord, I ask when we leave here, let's be changed. Because we've been in the presence of God and He has spoken through his word to us. So, Lord, we just ask, bless now the teaching and the preaching of your word. And guard our hearts and minds in Christ through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. You may be seated. Family is so important. And I realize that some of us did not come from great families. But let me just tell you that there's no perfect family that I've met. I'm the dad of a family, and our family is not perfect, but I can remember growing up in an imperfect family, and we got in fights all the time. I can remember as a little kid, my oldest brother, there's, there's three bedrooms upstairs, and then there's a uh, a garage that my dad converted into a bedroom for us four younger boys. So the, the my brother and sister lived upstairs, and they kind of were close in age, and then the four of us were close in age. There was a four-year time gap between those two groups, and then about 18 months to two years between each of the others, okay? And so we kind of grouped up that way, but the younger of us would always get into fights, and when we got into a fight— we would the younger one would invariably be chased around the house and eventually go upstairs into my brother's bedroom and hopefully he wasn't there but my dad had built a a desk that extended from one end of the room to about three feet in front of the door so that the door could swing open freely what an advantage because we would run into that room because it couldn't lock, he would slam the door and then prop our feet up against the end of the desk and our backs up against the wall. And there was no way that that older brother, even my brother Rob, when he would chase after me, you know how big he is. And he would come hulking up the stairs, if that's a word, and he would come pounding. And I thought for sure, Rob, you're going to break the door jam care and you know it was that kind of stuff and we would fight man i can remember now there were certain rules though we never punched each other in the face we rarely punched each other in the gut but that was not off limits (laughs) but there were certain rules we could we could torture each other but only so far right but here's the funny thing we would defend each other tooth and nail even if it meant our lives I guess maybe so that the next day we could beat each other up again. I don't know. But the truth is we would def- we would fight each other like dogs and then the ve- that very day defend each other to our neighbors. And I can remember one time, see we had a, it's probably about a three foot, I don't know, three or four foot high chain link fence that separated our backyard From the house behind us. And the house behind us. I was in the alley. And I was cornered by six guys. I had probably said something really stupid. Name calling. That kind of thing. That certainly wasn't beyond me. At age eight or ten. okay? And they were ready to pummel me. And so I looked. For their weakest link. And he was a guy about my age. And then there was another one. A little bit younger. And they lay between me. And that chain link fence. And I was not about to let the older guys get a hold of me because I knew they would tear me to pieces. And so I bolted this way, broke between them, and there was a certain way that we could jump that fence. And I had that art down. And I jumped over that fence. Now, see, once I was in my backyard, I could turn around and name call and taunt them again. And there was no way they were going to come on our property because we were family. And by that time, and I would be yelling as I'm running to the fence, and my brothers would hear that. They knew, Michael's in trouble, again, and we're going to go defend him. And so they would come piling out into the backyard and kind of stand there next to me, and we're like, okay, we dare you. Man, what a dysfunctional family, right? No, the truth is, we fought, and yet we defended each other tooth and nail, even if it meant our lives. And... As a spiritual family, we try to get rid of the fighting, right? But we defend one another. There is something about family. It's a metaphor that the Bible uses for the people of God. We are family. We are family. We're brothers and sisters. We talked about that a little bit last week and how it deals with us being agents of grace. God wants to dispense his grace through us, his brothers and sisters. Today, a little bit more of a focus on being a mother and father in the faith. And all of this is because God has a goal, and that is to pour out his grace in all of our lives through one another. He did it through the cross. We trusted in Christ. He rescued us from our sinful ways. And our tempers that made us want to beat our brothers up. And God set me free from that church. He really, I mean, there was a temper that your pastor had that was beyond belief. Oh, my goodness. God had to set me free from that. But he did it by the cross of Jesus Christ. And now empowers me, as he does with you, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That very power that raised him from the dead is available to me to be able to walk in this thing Called the Christian life in this way to, to be able to truly please and honor the God I serve and that rescued me and that rescued you. Now, we talked about the drama of grace. So I'm going to read these verses again. Turn with me to Ephesians 3. We're going to keep coming back to this verse. I want you guys to picture this, and I want you to kind of see it in your mind Because this drama of grace is not something that I'm just making up. The phrase is, but the picture is here in Ephesians chapter 3. And I need to grab my glasses. Give me a moment. All right. So are you there with me? Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to be reading verses 10 and 11, and then 14 and 15. Here we go. His intent, that is God's intent, was that now... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God or the multifaceted wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. 14 and 15. For this reason, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family, you and I, in heaven and on earth derives its name. What is seen? This is Paul saying that the world has become a stage, if you will, in which God's intention is for the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms to look down upon earth and see how God is working so many events together that they recognize his multifaceted wisdom. Multifaceted wisdom. I'm going to... And make an analogy here. They're like, how many of you have ever done dot-to-dot before? Dot-to-dot. I I grew up on dot-to-dot, all right? There was a time in which I was really bad, and I'll never show you those pictures. I got better at it. I want to show you something, though. Because the dot-to-dot that we see are, these dots are the events The circumstances that happen in every single one of our lives, and some of those are horrible things, but some of them are a display of God's love towards us. It is so hard, though, for us to connect some of these dots. I I want to show you something here. Can you recognize what this is going to be? How many dots are there? There's nine dots. Can you see that? What do you think this is going to be when you're done? Somebody tell me. A sailboat. There we go. I've got another one for you. Are you ready? Here we go. Here we go. What is this? And don't tell me a thousand dots because you'd be right, but you have no idea. I still have no idea what it is. I Googled. I found this, and I was like, so I need someone to connect the dots because when I'm looking at this, it just looks like a bunch of nothing. All right? I would need to sit down, and yes, with a magnifying glass because the the numbers are too small for me to read, and I'd need to connect the dots. Maybe some of you can do that for us, and next week you you know what the picture is. My grandson, Cooper, is five years old. He would not be able to do this. Now, we were playing hide and seek when he came over. We were babysitting and, and... my wife and Julian and, and May, I think, were out. They they came in a little bit later, but I was playing hide-and-seek with them, and it was Cooper's turn. Now, we had counted up to 50, but Cooper can't count quite that high, so he could count up to 30, so one recommendation, when I think, when Julian and May came back is... what. Why doesn't he just count up to 30? And I thought, that's not going to give me enough time because I, I have this plan, okay? And it's a cool plan. And by the way, he never found me, okay? Just just, just so you know, I, I hid so well. But he, 30, that's not going to give me enough time. And so I said, Cooper, why don't you count up to 20 two times? That makes sense to me, but he got confused. He kind of counted up to 30 and 20 at the same time, and this is how he did it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, but slower. 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 21, 22, <laughs> 23, 24. And so... I- I heard him, and I'm starting to laugh. I'm, all, I'm, I'm in the closet, and I'm covered with a blanket, and it's dark in the closet, and the rule is you can't turn lights on. So I figured he's going to look in there. It's going to be dark. He'll never see me. But I'm laughing, and I'm going to be a dead giveaway if he, if he comes near me. Okay, But Cooper would not be able to do this puzzling. And Cooper's a smart guy. Cooper is really good with his hands and making things. He's just creative, just really creative. Uh, but he wouldn't be able to do this because he can't count up to 1,000. Now, here's my point. I want you to imagine that you're like my grandson, Cooper. And in real life, your life is filled with a thousand dots. And some of those dots are hard times. They're struggles. They're hardships. And some of them are just amazing gifts of God in demonstrating his love towards us. And we're trying to make sense of this. And here's the truth. For most of us, we can't count past 30, much less up to a 1,000. And we can't connect all of the dots. But you see, here, as I read this passage to you, these dots, when they're all connected, form a picture that says the manifold wisdom of God. Now, do you understand this analogy then? All of these struggles and displays of God's love and all of these points, all of these dots, when they're properly connected, display this amazing, multifaceted wisdom of God. These dots, when properly connected, show us a picture of God's wisdom. But who views this display in what I'm calling the drama of grace. Who sees it? Do you and I see it? Is God's intent so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to all of you? See, no, because we can't connect the dots. It is revealed to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. They're probably a little bit smarter than us. Now, my take on this is not that it refers to all the demons and all the angels, rulers and authorities, would not include all the angels and all the demons. The heavenly places is the spirit realm. You can do your homework if you want. You can look up that word. It's used five times in the book of Ephesians. Sometimes it refers to the place where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And other times, like in chapter 6, it's the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's the spirit realm, angels and demons. But specifically, the smart ones, I guess. Rulers and authorities. And they can connect the dots. And even the demons of hell look up, look out upon this world and all the stuff that they are trying to do to mess it up and to pull you from God and cause you to doubt him and cause you to question his love. They look out and they see how God is weaving and and connecting these dots. and, And they're like, wow, that is so wise. Even the angels, they worship him. God, you are so wise. The wise and eternal God. See, they can do it. They can connect the dots, but we can't. They're able to grasp God's wisdom because it's not beyond them, but it is beyond us. They're a part of what's going on here on earth. They're a part of it. They're behind, we don't see them, they're behind the scenes, but God is working and connecting these dots together and they get the picture, but we don't. So what is it then as this display of God's grace with us going through trials that cause us to look to God and cry out to him, help me, Father, because that is God's heavenly goal, isn't it? He takes a rebellious, independent person like me and trains them to become a completely dependent child of God. That's what he's doing in my life. And I talk that that's different than our earthly fathers who take a completely dependent child to train them to become independent. See, that's not God's goal. It's just the opposite. He's creating dependent children. He's creating children that look to him. How? By allowing us to go through these struggles... And through this drama of grace, and though we can't connect the dots, as we go through this, we look to him and we depend upon him. But there is a picture that we can see that Paul talks about. It may not be his manifold wisdom, because that's a thousand dots that like Cooper, we just can't connect them. But we can grasp something here. It may not be his manifold wisdom, may be beyond us, but there's something we can grasp. And I want to connect this now to not just brothers and sisters, but now to this concept of family in mothers and fathers in the faith. But look there with me. Right here it says, in verse 17 and 18, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray That you being rooted and grounded in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp what? His his manifold, multifaceted wisdom connect all of the dots. No, to grasp something else. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that's beyond understanding, that's beyond knowledge, we're invited to know a love that is so vast it's it's impossible for us to fully grasp. But this is God's goal. Not that we understand how he interconnects all of these issues in our life, but to be able to see some of these dots that speak of his love and say, that is God's love for me. And that is God's love for me. And you know what? I don't understand how all these things come together, but I know his love and I know his redemptive act on the cross for me. And he forgave me of all of my sins because he loved me. And because he loves you, church, that gives us value. The more you love something, the more valuable it is. And God gave up the infinite value of his son for you. So how valuable does that make you to him? See, infinitely. Infinitely. God put his stamp of value. He put a price tag on it, on each of you, by his blood. That's how expensive it is. That's how valuable you are. But in this context of this drama of grace, some of these dots, many of these dots, are just acts of God's love and ministering to it, undeserved, but ministering his love to us. Not all of them. But as, we, as God connects them, that we can't necessarily see this side of heaven, he is working on our behalf to create this amazing, intricate picture that displays his wisdom. Wow, God, you are wise. I don't understand it because I'm like a five-year-old. I can only count up to 30, not a 1,000. But you see, God says you you don't have to do that. But can you trust me? This is so wise in your life. You don't understand it, but I I want you to look for the love. I want you to look for the acts of love. I want you to see my display of love in your life. So here's my question, and I'm using this now as a springboard for the next 25 minutes. But, excuse me, how does God pour out his love in the midst of these trials, to display his grace. This is the drama of grace. if And I'm using the drama. I hope you're not offended by that word. It's not like a play act or something like that. But it is. the world is a stage. And we are going through these struggles. And we are in this process of embracing his love. And all of the demons and the angels, or at least those rulers and authorities, they see the amazing wisdom of God. How does God display that love? in your life. I'm going to suggest this. He does it through his family. He does it through his family. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And in verse 10, you may not see it in your Bible, so I'm going to help us. I'm going to read it and then explain it, but in verse 10 it says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Now, I think you can see the brotherly love, but there's something you may not see. Be devoted. That word is a, uh, it's an interpretive translation. In other words, it's not literal. The literal translation would be, have family love for one another. Philos Stargos, it says. You're familiar with Philadelphia Philos love Stargos family, so love of family or for family, and so Paul it's translated be what devoted interesting because devotion is best seen in the picture of family. We are devoted to one another in our physical families. And I'm going to tell you, church, we together, as the family of God, we are devoted to one another. I'm devoted to you, and it's not just because I'm your pastor, but because I am part of your family. Like it or not, I'm a family member, and I might come over this afternoon. Just kidding. But I'm a part of your family, And you know what? There are quirks in my life. And I've told you about some of those, right? I have a tendency to talk during movies. I don't like it necessarily. I have a tendency to... Yes, my family is saying. I tend to drum. I sit in a little rocking chair. And it's not because I'm old. It's just... Anyway, I like sitting in this rocking chair. And I tend to drum on it sometimes. And my wife will graciously say, Mike, hon... Oh, right, sorry. And within five seconds, I'm doing it again, right? And and it's not to irritate them, okay, family? It's not to irritate you. When I was a kid, I would drum on the dining room table like this. And I would just drum. And my dad would say, Michael, but there are quirks about me. Just like you. Come on now. If we took the mic around, you all have quirks. I can guarantee it. You all have quirks. And if you don't see them, some of us will tell you what they are. No, I'm just kidding. We won't do that either. But the truth is we have quirks. But you know what? We love one another anyway. And we can see past those quirks. Why? Because we are devoted to one another. Now, I'm going to suggest not only are we devoted to one another, but mothers and fathers especially are devoted to one another. I I I want to tell you what. When... I have the privilege as a dad to see this little tiny baby from the moment that he or she is born. And I hold them to be able to love that child, care for that child, provide for that child, serve that child in so many ways and to be able to see them grow up and whatever God has for them in their future. Children, marriage, jobs, how they impact people, how they make disciples. And you know what? To me, that is just absolutely amazing that I get to be a part of that. And I am devoted as a dad to my kids. And my wife, equally or even more so, devoted to our children. Because that's what family is. I want you to see something here. Turn with me if you would. Okay, all right. Turn with me if you would to six chapter uh, Romans sixteen, verse thirteen. And here, Paul is re- he is talking about Rufus' mother. This is what it says. Simple verse, very short. Romans sixteen thirteen. Greet Rufus. Chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Now, obviously, she wasn't a biological mother, because Rufus and he are not biological brothers. They're not. But Rufus's mother was like a mother to him. What does that image conjure up for you? Paul, straighten your tie. Paul, did you clean up your room this morning before you left for making tents? Paul, did you brush your teeth this morning? Do you think it was that kind of being a mother? I don't think so. I'm going to paint a little bit of a picture as far as what a mother looks like, but as well a, a, what a father looks like. So Rufus is mother, and Rufus is probably the son of Simon who came in from the field when Jesus was carrying his cross to Calvary. It's the only other Rufus that we know, and more, and it was a rare name, and he was a Christian, and this may very well be the son of that man who bore Jesus' cross to Calvary. I want you to turn to another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, this has to do with a father, Paul being a father to the Corinthians. We saw Rufus's mother being a mother, spiritual mother to him. Now, let's see how Paul is a spiritual father. It says here in verse 14, 1 Corinthians 4.14, it says, I am not writing this to shame you. And we could read the, the previous two or three paragraphs because Paul is, is kind of harsh. He's kind of firm with them. He uses sarcasm. And 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 I'll be honest with you, I kind of step back and say, ooh, wow, okay, Paul. Mm. Because they were, they knew the truth. They had they had embraced the gospel, they were gonna follow Jesus, and yet in the beginning of chapter three, and I'll let you read that, they're they're so worldly, which which simply means they're Christians that tend to look like the world. And he has to challenge them like little kids. Come on, kids. This isn't what I asked you to do. You're supposed to clean up your own. You're supposed to live this way, okay? And, and, and he calls them and points them to Jesus. Now, let me just read it. So he says, I'm not writing this to shame you. He's writing this really to call them and urge and challenge them. But he goes on. He says, I'm doing this to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you. another word there is warn, like he used in verse 14. I urge you to imitate me. And he says in Philippians 4, follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus that's reflected in my character. That's what I want you to emulate. So we get a picture of here of Paul being a father and not a guardian. See, the the Greek word guardian that's used here, you may have heard it in English, it's paedagogos. We get the word pedagogue from that word. But in English, it means something a little different. In English, pedagogue means teacher. But paedagogos does not mean teacher, just so you know. This is a Greek word that was used for a glorified babysitter. You generally or a nanny. You would basically take the child to school. You would you would superintend their behavior. Made sure they followed the rules. In Galatians, the Pietagogos was the law to the Israelites. But we're not following a paidagogos. It's not the law that leads us anymore. It's the Spirit. And I'm not going to get into that another teaching. But you have 10,000, which is an exaggerated term. The, some of yours may say myriads because it was an exaggerating term, okay? We use the word ton, all right? I, I could say, wow, at the service this morning, a ton of people came. So does that mean if they all stepped on a scale, they would weigh 2,000 pounds? We're not going to do that, by the way. No, because that's not what I mean. I mean, a ton meaning a lot, right? And that's the word 10,000 is used many times in the New Testament. You you guys have a ton of guardians. You have a ton of people who can say, you should do this and you shouldn't be doing that. And did you clean up your room? And hey, did you have your quiet time this morning? You can have a lot of those types of people. But what is Paul? He is a father to them, not a guardian. He is a father to them. Now listen to what he does. He is the one who introduced them to Jesus Christ. He is the one, and I want you to turn with me as as, as I'm explaining this, because he beautifully describes it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So go there with me. We're we're hitting a lot of scriptures this morning. I realize that. I don't want to lose you, but here's a beautiful picture of this concept of mother and father. And now as we're going through father, this is what he says. And he kind of brings these two metaphors of mother and father together in this passage. And he, in essence, is saying to the Thessalonians, and by the way, read the book of Thessalonians. Uh, what a beautiful testimony of what God did in rescuing them from idolatry and bringing them I mean, so much so that they were so transformed, they became models uh, for the other Christian churches throughout the region. And anyway, he, he uses the metaphor and he says, "I, we have been like a mother to you and we have been like a father to you. Not a paedagogos, not a superintendent, not a glorified babysitter or nanny. But listen to this. He says, verse 7, First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. You know, Brooklyn over here had a baby about a month or so ago, Right? And and I have a report that she is an absolutely amazing mother, and I'm sure that she loves that baby. When that baby wakes up or makes a peep in the night, she probably wakes up and checks. Okay, you're you're still breathing. I can go back to sleep now, right? To you know to you know when the baby's crying, I need to find out why this baby is crying. At, no matter at, at any cost, right? And I bet you Brooklyn just loves her little one so much. She probably thought, I never thought I could love. Like, this is so intense, okay? I remember being a, a dad, my wife being a mom, just loving our kids. It's like, wow, this is amazing. And this is what Paul's trying to do. We loved you so much, just like a mother caring for her little children. And he goes on, he says, we loved you so much, that we were willing not only to share the gospel of God with you, but our very lives as well. What a picture of motherhood, sharing her very life with them. Rufus's mother shared her very life with Paul. Maybe they weren't wealthy, but when he came in, man, it would seem as if she lived like a queen because she would just, I'm sure she Cooked him his favorite food. I'm kind of guessing, but Paul, what would you like for dinner tonight? And she served him because that's what mothers love to do. What can I do as you're coming into my home? How can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I care for you? All right? And it's not by telling you to clean up your room and make sure you did your homework before watching TV. That, 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 that's part of being a mom, okay? But the point here is that as a spiritual mom, that's not our goal. Our goal isn't to go around it with the kids in the church. Hey, are you doing it right? Are you doing it? It's to love them. It's not only to share Jesus, but their life as well. And we could take a microphone. We've done this, but taking the microphone around and talking about moms, but even more specifically spiritual moms. And so many of you ladies here, you're spiritual moms. You care for people and you pour your life out for them. And Paul is simply saying... Kind of strange, but he, as a man, was like a mom to the Thessalonians, caring for them, sharing not just the gospel, but their life. But he he switches to a father metaphor, okay, just so you know. And in verse 11, he says this. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting And urging, here's that word urging again. Paul urged the Corinthians. We urged you, encouraged, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He says, back in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, we share Jesus with you, but we lived Jesus before you. We were examples. And in a verse I didn't read, he says, I'm going to send Timothy, and he's going to tell you how we've lived. Because a picture is what they were needing. They needed to see Jesus in the flesh. They needed to see how he would live. And the best way to do it is find these fathers and mothers in the faith and see how they walked as examples, as a spiritual mom, as a spiritual dad, in sharing the word, But living the word, living Jesus, people seeing Jesus in you, that's how you can love and care for people and be a spiritual mom and a spiritual dad. That is how you, as moms and dads, as us older people, loving and caring for one another, especially the younger, we can now have Jesus loving through us. Okay? Not with a bunch of rules, but showing them Jesus in us. One of the best ways is through hospitality. My wife is so good at this. That's actually how we met Mickey Lana for the first Well, actually, she was my kid's bal- ballet, assistant ballet instructor, but we had her into our home. And we just love Mickey Lana. She was 18 years of age, I think, back then. That was that was a few years ago. And and so here here, here she is now, a, a part of our church, and she has her own kids. Some of them are 20, twen- Tw- how old is it? 20, 20, okay. Oh, hello. 21, there we go, 21. Sorry, I didn't mean to overlook you. A few years ago, wow. And and you know what? My mom, my wife knows how to be a spiritual mom. So many of you ladies know how to be a spiritual mom because you care. You love people. You pray for them. You serve them. You exemplify Jesus to them. And his dad's encouraging, comforting. But there comes a place, and this is what dads do a little bit more uniquely than moms do. They urge. Come on. Come on, son. Come on. Time to get up now. We're we're, going to have a great day today. You're working hard in the backyard. Son, come on. We're going to keep working we got one hour to do. You're doing a great job, but we got to keep pressing. We're almost done encouraging, urging. And that's what we do in the faith. We urge. We gently, lovingly urge and move them forward. Don't give up. Don't give up. Spiritual dads, that's what you're called to. Be cheerleaders for those who are younger in the church here. Paul was a cheerleader. He said, live as you see me live. Do you, I work day and night. It's not that he's tooting his own horn. He's saying, I want you to see something and I want you to start doing it too. I want to live Jesus before you and I am not going to give up. even though I." And, and you can read this laundry list of all of these things that he has been through. And there's other places in Corinthians where he talks about all the trials that he's been through, but we persevered. He even says here, I have to laugh, but he says, we have become the scum of the earth. The refuse of the world. Because he's a spiritual dad. But how did he pursue Jesus? Did he give up? Did he say, you know what? I've tried following Jesus, but it just doesn't work. But he kept persevering. He kept believing. He kept following Jesus no matter what. No matter how hard it was. And the Corinthians looked on. And they learned. Dads, live for Jesus. Live for Jesus. I want to just conclude with one last thing. It's actually a picture of a spiritual mom in the Old Testament. And just randomly, I, I I just opened my Bible this past week, and it fell to this, and it fit, and I want to share it with you. Do you guys know a lady by the name of Deborah in the Old Testament? Turn with me to Judges chapters 4 and 5. Just real quickly. Deborah in Judges chapters 4 and 5. Now, it says in chapter... So chapter 4, let me just tell you this. She is leading needing to lead an army against the Canaanite king who lives in Hazor, which is kind of close to the Sea of Galilee. So it's in the north. His name is Jabin, very possibly similar to the title Pharaoh. but uh, So it it was probably more a title rather than a a, a personal name. And Barak is the one that God appoints to actually lead the army. She's a prophetess and a judge, okay? And she says here in chapter 5, now chapter chapter 4 is the battle, chapter 5 is the song that she writes, and Barak sings it with her. And she says in verse 7, she says, village life in Israel ceased. They had been oppressed by the Canaanites. Village life in Israel ceased. Ceased until I, Deborah, arose, arose a mother in Israel. I want to just take a moment right now and envision you moms and, and dads, because this is a charge that we're given to. She just happened to be female, but it was this. She was to be a mother in Israel. She was to speak the word of the Lord to the people and say, "We are, do not give up. She, was, she even did that to Barak. Barak, little bit of I um, I don't want to say coward, but he was not a man as full of faith as he should have been. He learned faith in this, but he wanted her to be able to lead. And she said, nope, God has called you to do it. And so she urged him, she called him, come on, Barak, come on. This is, this is what God has called you to do. Now, here's what I want to point out. In this song about this battle, if you can imagine the land of Israel and in the north is where the Canaanites are fighting, but their influence, their oppression is beginning to spread throughout Israel, hasn't reached Judah yet. Judah is more than likely battling with the Philistines at this point. Um, under shamgar and you can read about that in chapter i think it's uh, three somewhere but here is here here is the picture she is calling the israelites come we need to fight but there were some tribes that did not respond it says here in the, verse 15 the princes of issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, rushing after him into the valley. In the districts of Reuben, that's on the other side of the Jordan. That's pretty far removed from where the battle ended up taking place near Megiddo. What's going on over in Reuben? Yeah, They were searching their hearts. Should we go? Should we not? Hmm, need to think about this. Let me continue. Why did you stay among the campfires to hear the whistling for the flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. means they didn't answer the call because they felt they were in safety. And Dan, why did he linger? That's more in the north, but a little bit to the east. Excuse me, it's to the south, a little bit to the east. So, the influence of the Canaanite kings isn't going to come to us. Now, bear with me here. Asher uh, and Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. Again, they're in the north, but they're a little bit further to the east as well. They feel that they're out of harm's way. The people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the heights of the field. Curse Miraz. Verse 23, said the angel of the Lord curse its people bitterly because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Here's my simple point. Moms and dads, we are in the process of this vicious battle. And it is our job to call the others into this battle. And I'm going to tell you that Though you may not be a part of the problem that's going on, as the family of God, we are committed, we are devoted to one another. And I'm going to tell you this. When the enemy comes and he starts warring against families and individuals in the church, all of us, as much as we can, seek to come and aid and help. Because if you think that you're safe and you're not going to be impacted by this problem, think again. If Canaan, if these Canaanites had not been, if their efforts had not been thwarted, if they had not been defeated by Deborah and Barak, their influence, their oppression eventually would have crossed the Jordan. And then Reuben would have thought again, maybe I should have helped. Church, we are obligated to one another. When we're going through these struggles and we're not able to connect the dots, as we can, we help one another. But moms and dads, we are the ones. We bring people in. We seek to, to rally them. We seek to be aware of struggles that are going on and how we can be praying. And we are the ones who rally the troops, if you will. And we are the ones that God desires to pour his love and his grace through in this drama of grace. How does God... Help us understand his love. It's through each of you. It's through every single one in this family that's devoted to one another. That's how he's going to do it. Moms and dads, we lead in this charge. We exemplify Jesus. That's our goal. We try to point people to Jesus. We live for Jesus. And our families, our children, our spiritual children, look at that. Men, we were talking just last night about this concept of true greatness and that the world has a definition of greatness, but the Word of God has a different definition and it's kind of upside down. And as we strive for the Bible's goal and definition of greatness, God may end up giving some of this stuff, you know, Wealth is one of those things that the world overemphasizes. Fame, power, these various things. And God may give some of these things. Many times they become a distraction, but they are not true greatness. He says this, the best way that we can train our kids towards God's definition of greatness and success is by you doing it. Dads, be great. You strive to have, what is it, guys? Help me out here. A humble heart a generous heart, a grateful heart, and a servant's heart. Jesus, living through you, transforms you so that you become this image of a humble man, a generous man, a grateful man, and a servant. And as you exemplify Jesus in these ways, that's how we rally the troops. That's how we move forward. That's how we express and demonstrate this devotion in family. So I'm going I'm to just conclude with this. Guys, we're in this battle. We don't understand everything that's going on because we can only count up to 30. I think you get that. But you know what we can at least see? These acts of God's love. And I want you to be a part of that. I want you to be a part of demonstrating that love for one another, caring for each other, exemplifying Jesus. Paul had spiritual moms and dads. I'm not beyond having a spiritual mom and dad. Neither is my wife. So we are called to be family. To allow Jesus to live through us. And pour out his grace through us to one another. I want you to consider today. How are you going to do that? Not just to your immediate family, but to others. How are you going to do that? This is what I want us to pray about right now. I want God to stir up something in your heart that gives you perspective and the sense of destiny and call. That in this dark hour, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Can we stand right now? Let's close in prayer. Let God speak to your hearts. There's no sitting on the sidelines. That's not what the church is about. We're a family. So Father, I just ask you, Please, Lord, speak to our hearts. Let us be like a Deborah. Let us be like a Paul, calling people on, showing them Jesus. We're in a battle, and God, by your grace, we are destined for victory. Use us, Lord, every single one to that end. Jesus, please, just speak to our hearts very personally this morning and show us how we're to do that. As we're praying for each other speak to us even then what can i do to allow god's grace to flow through me to this person and would you do this lord every day and would you give us that sense of purpose and destiny as that spiritual mom and dad as the spiritual brother and sister to show people your grace in jesus name i pray amen